Amen. You guys grab a seat. How are we doing this morning? Yes, it's good. Yes, it is good. Baptisms are happening. Man, we're, we're, in, um, we're in a series. We're closing out a series called Love is Our Language. And it's not just a statement that we want to make cute for us as believers. It's not just something that may be catchy, something you say throughout the week. But it's actually a staff culture that we live by here at Stone Creek. And so everything we do, we want love to be our language. We, we want to love our neighbors well when there's conflict. We want to love our coworkers well when there's conflict. We want to love our, our wives and our husbands and every relationship around us. We want it to be full of love being our language. And we don't want to stop when it just gets good. Like we want to love people so well that they actually believe that love is their middle name. And the first three weeks, we, we've, we've talked about love Week one, Stephen talked about the goat, the greatest of all time. That love is actually the greatest of all time. Week two was Valentine's Day. And so Stephen talked about relationships and communication in the context of love being your language. In, in, in week three, he, he defined that God is love or, or love is defined by God. And today, I, I kind of want to take a little bit of a minor detour around love being our language to actually love being our lifestyle. Now, now, love can be your audible language, but we all know that our actions speak louder than words, which may not be true. But the idea and thought that, man, if we can just talk to people about love or say the right things to love people, it's failed us before, hasn't it? I mean, you've grown up with a, a mom or a dad or a family member telling you how much they, they loved you and cared for you, and then they leave and they walk away. You've been in relationships before where they're like, I'm all in. I will be there when you're down and out. And when you are, they're gone. Love sometimes in our lives is just like this catchy thing that, that we hope and we believe that maybe one day it'll actually happen in the relationships in our lives. But the reality is not just the language of love, it's the lifestyle of love. And Jesus walks us through time and time again that, that he's not just this guy in heaven that talks a lot. He does an extremely amount of stuff in the context of love. I believe Jesus is going to wreck our world today. And I'm just going to throw my cards, show, throw them on the table, let you see them. I'm going to ask you to do something. Jesus is going to speak in, in and each, every single body's heart in this room and online. I really believe that God's going to call you to, to move today. Maybe it's you surrendering your life over to Jesus today. It's going to happen. When we ask to raise your hand and we ask to like, for you to say a prayer, you know, offering your life over to Jesus, somebody in this room is going to do that today. I believe somebody in this room, they walked in, they saw the baptism thing set up. They, they heard Stephen talk about it and they're like, uh-oh. No, I'm like, you're getting baptized today. You didn't bring clothes, but you're getting in today. And I think some of us in this room are going to grab a flashlight and not just keep it in Walmart. You'll hear the story later. So, so Jesus, he's at the, his momentum of ministry is building. He's not just the new guy in town, but, but people are beginning to get healed. People are, are being raised from the dead. And these Pharisees and these scribes, these, these religious leaders of the time, they kind of confront Jesus in Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It's in the New Testament. There'll be verses on the screen. You can look it up on your phone. But Jesus interacts with these guys. 
Luke 15, verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, which is Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. Tax collectors and sinners. Now these tax collectors, they were bad dudes. If you grew up in church, I didn't really grow up too much in church, but, but you hear the story of Zacchaeus. You've heard the song before. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. <laughs> he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, you come down from going to your house today, from going to your house today. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, but a happy little man was he. Zacchaeus saw the Lord that day, and a happy man was he. And a happy man was he. This, this wasn't the typical tax collector. These tax collectors were brutal. Uh, they, they worked for the, the Roman government, and, and your neighbor used to be your neighbor, but now he's a tax collector, and now he's asking you for all this money. It's like your neighborhood HOA president. You're sitting there in your house, and next thing you know, your neighbor's the president, and he's taking pictures of your home because something's rotting. And you're going, dude, you didn't even put up Christmas decorations at the front of the entrance this year. Where's all the money going? These tax collectors were friends, but now they're enemies. And these sinners, these guys were brutal. These guys made mistakes, and they didn't care. You called them on the carpet for the mistakes and the sinful behavior and the bad behavior they were making, and they'd be like, yeah, I did that. So you got these tax collectors who are these spies in the sense, and you got these sinners, just bad people going, yeah, I'm about to do another bad thing. And they show up to Jesus and these, these religious leaders of the time, the ones that, 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 that knew all the rules, that, that, that upheld integrity when it came to what was asked of them from the scriptures, they look at Jesus and they're like, these are your boys? And not only are they your boys, but you eat with them? You ever eaten with somebody that's just an annoying eater? You invite them over and maybe they don't cut up their food. Maybe they talk when their food's in their mouth. Maybe they lick their fingers. I just start getting sick in my stomach talking about it. Maybe they spit. <laughs> but they're just terrible eaters so bad where you put the fork down and you're like, I'm fasting this meal. Like, I'm done. I'm out. You're just gross. I mean, first century, the way it happened, when people would gather into a room, there wasn't these everyday showers. There were sandals. They were messy. They were nasty. They were nasty on the inside and nasty on the outside. They walk into the house, or Jesus walks into their house. They sit around a table. They look at the bread in the middle of the table. They don't have the knife from Longhorns that, you know, you put all five fingers into the bread and then cut it. They just kind of grab a piece, and they dip it in the dipping sauce, and then they start eating and Jesus probably grabs some bread from where the, the tax collector grabbed the bread from. And as he's trying to dip his bread in, maybe the tax collector double dips. It's like a no-go. End game. Cheese dip over. Give me another one. And this is happening in the context of Jesus eating, having, having dinner with these bad people. It wasn't just like this cool little dinner party where everybody dressed up and everybody smiled and said, how are you and your family? Great, great, great. Okay, cool. Let's keep eating. They got real. They got raw. They were unified. Jesus was calling them family. You can eat after me. I don't care. You don't have to wash your hands. You don't have to clean up. 
You don't have to, you know, wear the button up. You can wear the cutoff. Like, you, you can do whatever you want. And Jesus begins to, to, to eat with them. And, and they're frustrated. Jesus knows that if he can't meet somebody, he can't love anybody. Jesus knows that if, if he can't meet somebody, he can't love anybody. And so he meets people. He has dinner with people. And then Jesus jumps right into the story, like, okay, cool, guys. You guys have cornered me into this position. You're frustrated with me. Just a, a cool little uh, perspective and characteristic of Jesus here. Jesus, so often in the middle of these one-liners or these, when he's shoved in a corner, he could just come and, like, just destroy you. I mean, Jesus at that point could have gone, like, y'all just don't get it. You'll never get it. You're always going to be too good, and so just, just forget about it. But Jesus doesn't come when, when you ask questions and when the religious leaders of the time, when they ask questions, he just didn't come and destroy them. He built them up. He didn't come just destroy an idea. He built a new one. And so what happens with Jesus is these, these religious leaders are going like, you're a fraud. You're eating with these bad people. And Jesus is like, no, 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 I'm going to destroy your line of thinking, but I'm also going to build you up of the way you should live. This is what he does in Luke 15. He goes, so he told this parable, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The Pharisees are like, uh, who's he talking about? Am I the sheep? Ah, I'm the person who needs no repentance. Have you ever strayed before? <laughs> Have you ever been a part of a friend group and just because of your behaviors and your decisions, you, you, you actually kind of move yourself away from your friend group? Maybe it's your family. It's because you did it. I mean, it's your decisions, your lifestyles. It was your way and you became and you look back and you're like, holy, like I, I'm, I'm here alone. And there's some of us in this room that you really haven't done much. You were actually a pretty solid relative, pretty solid spouse, pretty solid uh, family member or friend. And it just feels like you were kidnapped, thrown into the trunk, left on the side of a cliff and just drove away. And you're like, where is everybody? Every single one of us at some point in our lives have, have felt alone, that, that we've strayed. And, and Jesus makes it so clear. Jesus goes, if you, if you have 99 sheep and one goes away, go after the one. Leave the 99 and go after the one. Would you do it? If you had 99 sheep, one went missing, would you go try to find it? Or would 99 be good enough? 99 is going to, your business isn't going to go bankrupt. Your, your portfolio is not just going to crash. You, you just lost a little. And Jesus goes, whoa, y'all don't get it. If one strays away, I'm leaving the 99 because the 99 are safe. They got each other's backs. There's 99 of them, but this one, he's out there alone. Some bad things are going to happen. So the shepherd, he, he goes and he finds the sheep and 
he finds the sheep, he puts the sheep on his shoulders, and I think he, he goes back to the 99 sheep, gathers the 100 sheep, and he walks back to his house. He puts the, the, sheep, the sheep down, and he grabs his phone, or he sends out a telegraph or whatever they did back then, and, and they were like, hey, y'all, y'all got to come to the party. Hey, Amos, hey, Bart, Billy, Bo, Cliff, Colt, Dallas, come on. Those cowboys or those shepherds? But come to the party. I found, I found my sheep. Let's celebrate. I, I might go, <laughs> go kill two sheep so we can party with the one sheep, but let's just, let's just come party. There's going to be a sheep. I found, I found my sheep. And then Jesus sums it all up in verse 7. He goes, just so. This is why I'm telling you the story. I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. More joy in heaven. When your child opens up the present from Christmas that he's been asking for, the joy on his face. The joy of the woman when the man gets down on his knee and proposes for the first time. The joy of a high school student when they get an acceptance letter from Harvard or Alabama. (laughs) The joy. And Jesus says there's just more joy in heaven when one person repents, when one person turns away from their old life and starts to, 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 to live in this new life that Jesus called them. Don't you want that joy? I mean, when's the last time you had that joy? Christmas? When is the last time that it wasn't just a fake smile or a have-to smile or a gritty smile or a persevering smile, but the smile overflowed because of your joy? And God says, if you leave the 99 and if you go rescue the one, there's going to be joy in heaven, so there's going to be joy in your life. Any story you hear about someone going missing, a young child or anyone, when that person's reunited with their family, it's just overflowing joy. And maybe the solution to your, your joy problem, our joy problem, is that we're not finding anybody. The shepherd doesn't go and find the sheep because if he loses one, his life's over. He knows if he loses one, that sheep's dying. He doesn't need to have a hundred. That's not his favorite number. But he knows if he doesn't go after and seek after the sheep, the sheep's going to be dead, gone, and forever. And so when he rescues the sheep, he's full of joy. And then Jesus tells us, he says, I want to find all people. I love finding people. I want to swing for the fences and I want to go on search parties and find people. I wonder what, what the sheep was doing when, <laughs> when the sheep was found. Like I, I have a, a 10-year-old chocolate lab named Allie Bama. And when she escapes out my front door, I can call her all I want. She will not come back until she wants to. So she'll make a round around the whole cul-de-sac and then finally she'll come back. I wonder what the sheep did when the sheep saw the shepherd. I don't envision the sheep just running up to the shepherd. I feel like the shepherd had to get closer and closer and the sheep was probably still unsure. Am I in trouble? Or is this going to be good? I love playing hide and seek with my kids. I have a five-year-old daughter, Riley. Hey, girl. 
I have a three-year-old son named Bradley and a two-year-old daughter named Carly. When we play hide-and-seek, Riley's actually pretty good at hiding. She can find some really good spots. When I count, she'll go run off and hide. Bradley will just follow her, which really annoys her. And Carly just somehow gets naked and comes back to me. I don't know what happens. (laughs) True story. I'll get done counting to 10 or 20, and I'll start scouring the home for my kids. And uh, I can kind of hear Bradley because he's just thunder thighs, just stomping everywhere. And I get into the room. I'm going to spoil the joke for you, Riley, but I get into the room, and I go, hey, where's Riley? Anybody seen Riley? I know where she is. And I look for her, and she has her eyes closed. She may have her hands over her eyes. I may, her, her eyes and my eyes may connect, but I keep kind of looking around, playing. I'll get closer and closer and her eyes will open, but she will not come out of hiding. She doesn't get found until I actually grab her. And then when I grab her, I will hold her and we will laugh and we will giggle and we will dance. In just the simple game of hide and seek, we, found, we find joy. And so many of us in this room, like, man, we're hiding. We felt lost. We've gone astray, whether it's our fault or someone else's, and we're hiding behind a couch or a chair, and Jesus is going, hey, where are you? He knows where you are. And your eyes are covered, because I don't know if you don't want the game to end or if you don't want your life to be revealed. But some of us just need to open our eyes. Some of us need to stop saying, where is God? Just, just open your eyes. And Jesus, he'll find you. Jesus actually cares about finding you. And then then he jumps into the sequel. In Luke 15, verse 8, he goes, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There's this woman. She has ten coins. They mean a lot to her. They mean a day's wages apiece. So she has ten days of income. But, but the coins have to mean way more than that. I mean, if you and I lost a hundred bucks, like that, that would be a big deal. We would look for it, but we wouldn't probably scour the house over and over day after day to find it. And when you do find it, you're probably not going to call people and tell you found a hundred bucks. Cause they're gonna be like, that was mine. So this lady, she, she loses a coin and she's so desperate for it. She's in a, a little house, probably the size of a single car garage with no windows and it's dark. And, and she begins to try to scour and look for this coin. She's sweeping, trying to find it. She lights a lamp and she's looking for it. And then she finally founds the, finds the coin. And who does she call? Nancy, Patty, Diane, Gloria, and Evelyn. Come over to the party. Hey guys, I found the coin. I found the coin. And they're like, what coin? Like, it doesn't matter. I found the coin. I'm about to spend two coins to throw a party because I lost one coin. Come to the party. And Jesus says it again in verse 10. He goes, just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Joy before the angels. You've heard before that when somebody gives their life over to Jesus, whether it's 
through prayer, whether it's through coming in and being baptized, that there's a party going on in heaven because the angels are so full of joy. You've heard this. I think that happens, but I think we may have missed something in this parable. Jesus says that there's joy before the angels. Not because of the angels. Not from the angels. There's joy before the angels. Who's before the angels? It's God. It's not the angels rejoicing. God starts the party. It's God going, <laughs> y'all just didn't see what just happened. Let, let's rejoice. And there's so much joy. That person just turned from darkness to light. That person just, saw, just turned from this, this wild, sinful behavior to something new. And the angels are like, oh, yeah, there's joy. And they start gathering around and there's just rejoicing in heaven. But it's not because the angels, that's cool. But it starts with God, the Father, the big man upstairs. He's rejoicing. When you turn from darkness to life. He's rejoicing when you stop that lifestyle and start something new. He's rejoicing when you're repenting of the things that you did. And you're going, I don't want to do that anymore. God's going, yeah, that's my son. That's my daughter. That's the person I created. How does it feel to know that God the Father has joy when you repent? What, what happens to you as a parent when your child is living a certain way and maybe they tell you, maybe they turn away from it. What's your response? I think this, this concept is so hard to grasp because it, many times when we turn from our old thing to our new thing, people think we're a fraud. When, when we turn from an old behavior to a new behavior, people are just waiting, like, just, just wait and see. When you turn from your old life not knowing Jesus to this new life following Jesus, you feel like God's actually going to judge you for the past and not for the future. And so we stay hiding, put our hands over our eyes. You say, just, just, just pass me over. Just quit playing the game. And Jesus is going, I'm not playing a game with you. I actually care about you. I want to throw a party for you. I want to to have this overflow of joy for you. And I feel like Jesus is setting up the Pharisees here. He starts with the lost sheep and then the coin and he's pretty much asking them, if you lose some personal possessions, would you care? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a big deal. If you lose some money, if you lose some of your business, would you care? And they're probably looking around like, yeah. What is this guy getting at? And then Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son. I'm just going to paraphrase it. There's this son and his dad, and he looks at his dad, and he goes, hey, dad, I want my inheritance now. I know you're not dead yet, but can you just go ahead and give me my money now? And his dad is like, all right, I mean, if you want it now, you can have it now. And he gives it to his son. His son takes off to a different nation. So he doesn't just go into the city. He, lives the, he leaves the country. And the scripture says he squanders all of his wealth. The Bible says he did some just ridiculous, nasty things with his money. There was a famine in the country that he was staying, and so he wasn't able to get a job and actually you know, get back on his feet. So he began to take care of pigs, and he began to live where the pigs lived. And one night he just woke up, and he was just like, I, I can't do this anymore. Wake up call. I'm at the bottom. Maybe I can just go back to my dad and just be a servant for my dad. At least I'll have a place to sleep and something to eat. You been there? 
you just made all the wrong decisions and finally you're like, ugh, I guess I gotta go to church. I guess I gotta call mom. And this guy begins to make this journey with nothing back from a different country. And the Bible says that as he walks over a hill, his, his father sees him and his father begins to run after the son. It should be called the parable of the running father. And he embraces his son. He takes the robe off of his back and he gives it to his son. He gives the ring off his finger and he's like, I've been waiting for you. I've been looking for you. I'm you're your back. When I read the story, I'm going, why didn't the son turn his back and run away? I mean, if I'm gone, I made a bunch of wrong decisions. I've just spent all my dad's money and my dad's running after me. Out. I'm running away. This son, I guess, has kept walking. <laughs> I'll take it. It's worth it. You're right. And he goes home and he throws this massive party for his son. Luke 15, 24, it says this, for this my son was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and he's found and, and they all begin to celebrate. I believe that Jesus was saying this to the Pharisees, if you lose things, you lose your mind. But Jesus cares about losing people. Did he just say that to you? If you lose things, you lose your mind. You do that, don't you? You lose your iPhone, you go buy an Apple Watch, you lose your car keys, you think somebody broke into your house and took them. You lose things, we lose things all the time and we lose our minds. And our spouses and our families looking at us, it's like, <laughs> no, you just lose things. Jesus is telling the Pharisees, man, when you lose things, when you lose sheep, when you lose money, you lose your minds, but you don't care about losing people. And I think we got to ask ourselves that question. Do we care? Do we care about the things that we lose, but not the people that Jesus loves? Jesus loves searching for you. So many of us in this room, like he's given up. He's done. He passed me over. Somebody else is playing and they're, they're just more fun than me. They're gonna have a bigger impact than me. They're worth it, Jesus, more than me. My runway to become a better person is just so long. Like Jesus just stopped playing. But the reality of these parables, this one parable in three parts is Jesus is never gonna stop. Jesus is the shepherd who leaves the 99 good people for the one person who's broken and about to die. Jesus is the woman who, who lost her coin, stopped worrying about the nine coins, and he actually cares about the $100 bill. And then Jesus is the father. You've looked at Jesus and said, I want to do it my way. Can I just do it my way now? And Jesus says, yeah, and then you start coming back. And, and Jesus doesn't look at you and just ridicule you and point at you. Jesus grabs you and brings you back and he throws a party for you. There's some of us in this room, there's some of us online that just need to open up our hands, open up our eyes and go, all right, Jesus, find me. Prove it. I'm not gonna hide that hard. I'm out in the open. Will you find me? Some of you guys need to do that today. Stop hiding. And some of us in this room need to join the search party. You've been found. 
You have joy. You remember the day that God rescued you. But you have never rescued anybody else. You've never joined the search party. As a communicator, her name is uh, Christine Kane, and she grew up in Australia, and she would come over to the United States, and she would speak at large conferences and gatherings, and she was always enamored um, with Walmart. Not because of the people that come in and out of Walmart, but the things inside of Walmart. This was new to her. In Australia, they didn't, they didn't have Walmarts, and so Christine Kane would walk into Walmarts in America and she'd go up and down the aisles and she would see that you could buy guns and toilet paper and bubble gum all in the same spot. You could buy camping gear and a tire for your car. And she, she was just mesmerized and amazed by Walmart. She'd go back to Australia and go, hey, when you go to America, you have to go to Walmart. This place is crazy. She had the opportunity to bring her daughter over to America and her daughter began to walk the aisles of Walmart with her. And her daughter stopped and grabbed a flashlight. She looked up at her mom and she goes, mom, can I, will you buy me the flashlight? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's just a flashlight. And so her, her daughter was grateful and thankful and they're walking down the aisle and she's kind of fidgeting around with the flashlight and she, she turns the flashlight on, but the, the light doesn't come on. She kind of looks up at her mom, like, do we got to do something to make this work? And her mom kind of grabbed the flashlight and kind of cupped it over. And there was light coming out of the flashlight. But she couldn't tell because Walmart's so bright. And so her, her daughter was confused, like, well, can I, take it, can I take it back? This isn't fun. And her mom says, no, baby, we, we've got to go find some dark places. And her daughter looked at her and goes, Mom, let's, let's go. Let's go now to some dark places. Look right at me. Every single one of us has been given a flashlight. My fear as a believer, as a Christian, as a leader, is that we've turned on a flashlight on Sunday mornings at 9.30 at 11.15. We turn our flashlight on and dinners around the table at night with our own family. You turn your flashlight on at small group. But it's not working. You see some light coming out. But maybe you and I need to go to some dark places. Maybe you need to go to some some bad people. Maybe you need to pick up the phone and call the relative that you haven't talked to in a long time. The business partner that messed you up. Flashlight will work there. You won't have to second guess it because it's dark. Don't keep the lamp on. <laughs> Turn the headlights off and just drive. Use your flashlight. Church, I think we become a people that would provide so much joy in heaven, it would be ridiculous. I believe God right now is gathering the angels together in heaven and going, hey guys, get on the edge of your seat. Come on, come on, edge of the seat. Because what's happening at Stone Creek this morning in the lives of these people and the commitments they're about to make, like we are about to go wild. 
joy in heaven, party going nuts. Y'all, are y'all on board? Are we going to do this thing? And they're like, oh, we'll take your lead. I don't know. Stone Creek, what? No, uh, they're on the edge of the seat. And they're just waiting. God's just waiting so desperately for us to repent from our dark life and join him in our new one. So desperate for us to grab a flashlight and go into some dark places searching for people. And he's in heaven going, "Uh uh-oh, we about to party. Y'all ready? So this morning, number one, is this your day? Is this your time to go, all right, I'm in. I'm going to follow Jesus. Uh, I don't know if I'm in. I think I'm in. I don't know. Today's the day. Two, I'm going to get baptized. I've been saved. I've known Jesus. I don't remember my baptism. I don't, I don't know what happened. But I want to make that public profession of faith today. Joy in heaven. Three, I'm going to commit to take my flashlight in dark places. Joy in heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this time. I pray, Jesus, that you move right now. You continue to move right now. And I'm just going to ask you, Jesus, move into people's lives in such a way that it just feels weird and awkward. I pray, Jesus, you remove all fear and anxiety and stress. If you're in the room, if you're online and you want to follow Jesus for the first time, just tell him that. Maybe say something like, hey, Jesus, I love you. I want to be a part of your life. Rescue me. I will follow you forever. If you say that to Jesus, Jesus says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that you're saved, that you're rescued. And as a demonstration of that, If you've said that prayer this morning, I want you to raise your hand. So I'm going to count to three. If you said that prayer and you begin to follow Jesus, I just want you to raise your hand. Ready? One, two, three. Yes. It's awesome. Some of you guys walked in and you're like, man, I've been saved. I'm ready for some joy. I'm ready for a party. I want to get baptized today. I'm going to count to three, and I just want you to raise your hand. Ready? One, two, three. Yeah. And lastly, you have a flashlight. Are you willing to go to dark places to find people? If you're willing, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Jesus, you're amazing. Thank you for searching after me and for us. Continue to do something new in all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.